4: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
5: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
3: Hey, folks. Today is Monday, June 3rd, 2019. Coming up on Roller Bar- Unfiltered. When they see us, the graphic story of the Central Park 5 was released over the weekend on Netflix. We'll talk with Raymond Santana, one of those men about what happened after his life was stolen by the NYPD, as well as Linda Fairstein. She is the, of course, the prosecutor who went after these men who refuses today to still apologize. A deep search of the Facebook accounts of police departments show racist, bigoted, and violent posts will tell you about that. Also, the city of Trotwood, Ohio, needs help. This largely black city was the hardest hit by last week's estimated 13 tornadoes. Also, black voters are suing Mississippi over Jim Crow era laws that are benefiting white candidates. Also, uh, Reverend Dr. William Barber, he had a hearing today in North Carolina. They keep saying he's trespassing? Really? What's wrong with y'all? And a fond farewell to Leah Chase, the queen of Creole cuisine. And of course, she uh, passed away over the weekend, as well as former Noble National President, Police Chief, Jimmy L. Wilson. Y'all, it's time to bring the funk I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got Last week of Florida, tornadoes hit uh, the Midwest in the country, in this country, including uh, Dayton and surrounding areas. Some 13 tornadoes touched down. One of those places hard hit is Trotwood, Ohio. Uh, it is about has about 26,000 residents, most of them African-American. They haven't had the same kind of response that usually goes to white areas that have been hit. Joining me right now is Mary McDonald. She is the mayor of Trotwood and Michael Colbert, Montgomery County Administrator. Uh, mayor, uh, first and foremost, uh, glad to have you. How are you doing?
1: I'm happy to be here, Roland. Thanks for having me.
3: Give us uh, a sense of the damage that took place in Trotwood, and what do you need?
1: What we need, and the kind of damage that happened in the city of Trotwood, we damaged over 400, 450 structures throughout the city. And uh, what we're doing now is getting our community cleaned up, working with the state, county, and federal agencies in getting the needs of our, our citizens met.
3: Uh, And when you talk about uh, those structures being damaged and needs being met, first of all, is FEMA on the ground? What kind of assistance are you getting right now?
1: Yes, FEMA is coming into the community here this week. Um, They will be here on Wednesday and they should be here for about three days going through our community. But we've already had support from the state as well as our local and our county municipalities in terms of helping us.
3: Uh, have folks been displaced? Are people out of homes? Uh, exactly what's those conditions?
1: Absolutely. There are citizens that have been displaced. A large area of damage was in apartment complexes, and uh, over 700 people were evicted in that, that those particular areas. So we are making sure many of them are taken care of in housing, but many of them are with family and friends are being very well taken care of.
3: Uh, do you have any web page or anything set up if people want to be able to assist those in Trotwood, Ohio?
1: We don't have those things in place just yet. I tell you, it's just one week today, and every effort that we've had has been in cleaning up our community and trying to get a sense of normality so we can assess the damage and be able to move ourselves forward.
3: All right, then. Well, Mayor McDonald, I know uh, you're busy there uh, and uh, you have other things to do. We certainly appreciate uh, you uh, joining with us. Is is there any place, any phone number or site that you want to give out to our uh, viewers where they can offer assistance? uh, Anything you have like that?
1: Absolutely. I'd like to say 937-854-7212 is the phone number you can reach. And, And I want you to know that everything is going well here. We're getting the assistance that we need and we are excited about the new future that Toronto will have as a result of this. We're resilient and a strong community and we expect the recovery to be an absolute success for our citizens.
3: All right, Mayor Mary McDonald, we appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank you. All right, folks. Uh, On Friday, uh, Netflix uh, premiered the Ava DuVernay uh, series uh, called When They See Us. It is about the the case of the Central Park Five. It is five young men, uh, most who did not even know each other, uh, who went to prison as a result for a rape they did not commit. It was one that, of course, uh, dominated headlines in New York City and all across the country when it took place. Uh, Here is a clip from the movie.
6: The young men who have been arrested in connection with the attack a landlord in Charleston by the of a road in Central Park.
1: I know you've seen things. Maybe you had to defend
3: yourself. But in the end, you have the same heart. You gotta carry that with you, are you
4: okay? You're a convicted
7: sexual predator. See,
6: that's the law, not the truth. What those people stole
5: from you, you can't buy back. But you don't gotta be what they said you were.
1: What is it like for you in
2: here? I'm surviving. We'll get your light back.
3: Folks, um... all right, folks, um... Come back to me. We have some technical difficulties here, so uh, there we go. Joining us right now, though, uh, is one of Central Park Five, Raymond Santana. Uh, he joins us uh, via Skype. Uh, Raymond, first of all, uh, welcome to Rolling Martin Unfiltered.
6: Oh, thank you for having me, Roland. It's, also, it's always a pleasure.
3: Man, it was, um, so, uh, it's a four-part series. Um, I watched all four parts. Uh, Friday night, and it, it was beyond stunning, shocking to mm-hmm. to actually see the details, to see what y'all went through, to see how the cops coerced testimony, uh, mm-hmm. confessions, to see how prosecutors lied, how they withheld evidence, uh, and how they refused to really investigate this and really damaged all five of you years that you can't get back. For, for you, what was it like to actually see this all four parts?
6: Um, we saw all four parts in L.A., and, and I was there with the rest of the fellas. And and you know it, it, it was it was very painful to take us back down memory lane to relive the you know the process of of going into the interrogation rooms and being in there for 18 to 30 hours and all that pressure. Um, And then there was things that we didn't really know about each other, that we thought we did. We thought that we had a handle on the whole situation, that we knew everything. And then there was things that it just blew us away. And and for the five of us, it made us relive the situation. It made us take a step back and reevaluate, you know, and, and try to bring us even closer together. Definitely. Definitely painful.
3: Um, watching it, um, and I remember, of course, it taking place. I remember what happened. Uh, but there were so many other details that we did not know about. Uh, the fact that cops were interviewing young men without their parents present, how they were actually lying, uh, subverting justice, uh, to get them out of the room, um, beating confessions as well. And then, of course, you see uh, what Linda Fairstein and the other prosecutor Elizabeth Letterer, what they were doing as well. These are people who are supposed to be about uh, when you go to Supreme Court. It says equal justice under law, but the I reality is that's not what y'all experienced.
6: That's right, 100 percent, 100 percent. It was the total opposite. It was these, uh, you know, the, these these seasoned veteran detectives who, you know, they was the elite of the police force. And they were using these tactics on us that we never even heard of, that we didn't know. You know, there was no CSI law and order back in 1989, so we didn't know about the good cop, bad cop. You know, we didn't know that, you know, that that Corey was going to be physically abused by the police in the precinct. So this stuff was all new to us, and it was just the great amount of pressure that they put us under that we couldn't handle as 14- and 15-year-old kids.
3: Um, When you talk about, probably out of all five of you, I mean, it was just stunning Seeing what took place, but yes. but to look at what Corey went through, you knowing full well he only went to the precinct to offer support for his friend, that he served more time in prison than anybody else. He was mm-hmm. almost, he was beaten and almost killed. Uh, episode four was just—I mean, my mouth was wide open watching it. Uh, were y'all all aware of the hell that he went through?
6: No, not at all. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody is going through, you know, everybody's going through their travels through the criminal justice system. And then when everybody gets out, you know, there's not really a conversation about it. And and even when, when Corey gets out, we never really have a clue of the impact of how much he went through until we saw this series. And so it was an eye-opener. And, and for us, you know, it was about embracing him. He's our brother. That's my brother at the end of the day. And it was stuff that I didn't know but, um, but you know, it, it was
3: it was heartbreaking to see that it definitely was. The um, what was also sh- stunning is that the the way this was presented, as if all five of you were friends, when the reality is, only Corey and Yusef knew each other. That that scene of the five of you in the room for the first time, introducing yourselves to each other. That's correct.
6: That's correct. That's correct. I mean, we didn't know each other. Um, and, and you know, at that point, it's like everybody understands in one accord what happened. Everybody in that room says, OK, we have been taken advantage of. And it's it's at that moment that we vowed to fight against the system. Yeah.
3: There's an assumption that um, young men get in trouble. They come from fatherless homes. But the reality is several of you had fathers involved with your li- in your lives. But you had police officers who also were taking, um, uh, taken into account, who were taking advantage of, also parents who didn't know, who didn't know better, who didn't know what was going on. Uh, mm. in, in in your case, having your grandmother leave the room, uh, coercing your dad into signing your confession. I mean, it, it was. I mean, watching this, you, you're still you literally going really. And then the next yeah. one, really, and THEN the mm-hmm. next one. Really?
6: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are, I mean, we came from good home. We came from good family homes. I mean, I, my parents, my dad didn't have a criminal record. Like, he never had, had dealings with the police. So he was just naive, just as as naive as I was. And he, and he was a grown man, you know, who was a hardworking man, who went to work every day, you know, and he worked the same job for 44 years until he retired. And so the system also took advantage of our family members.
3: Yeah um I want to go back to Corey mm-hmm. and it's hard for some people to hear this but when you hear that it was God's divine order here's the guy who went to help a friend out that's right gets caught up serves the longest time he's moved around from prison to prison unlike the rest of you mm-hmm and he ends up being the one, who comes into direct connection with the real rapist. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm literally watching this and I'm going. First of all, Hollywood couldn't could literally not write. <laughs> That's
6: right. No, Hollywood,
3: Hollywood. No one would. No one could actually write a story where the guy gets into a fight with the actual rapist. They get separated. He goes to another prison and runs into the same guy who eventually is the one who confesses to being the real rapist. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you found out how all of that came about, what were you
6: thinking? No, it blew my mind. At, at the end of the day, like you said, this is, this is a story that if you sat somebody down and you told them the story, they will look at you like you're lying. They'll look at you like you're crazy, like you made this up. But it's all true. It's all fact, you know. And at the end of the day, all you can do is put it up to God. He's the man. He wrote this. Was written before before we were here. And so he, he he's the one that guides everything, and
3: he's the one that shows who 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 has the true and living power. But because if Cory <laughs> if Corey did not encounter this guy. That's right. You guys are still sitting in prison, or you're still being—you still have a scarlet letter. You're still being uh, trashed and and dogged and slammed and not exonerated. There's no $41 million. I mean, mean, if that didn't happen—and I'm just sitting there going, nothing but God could somehow make that thing come
6: together. That's right. That's right. I mean, even if if, Corey—because, you know, at the time, Corey, he refused to go to the parole board because they wouldn't listen to his truth. But if, if he had went to the parole board and he was granted parole, it would have been the same outcome. We would have ne- they, He would have never met Mateus Reyes. At the end of the day, Corey becomes the key. He becomes the key that frees all of us.
3: Um, I-, I need to deal with Linda Fairstein. <laughs> here's a woman who ha- has gone on to become a successful crime author. Mm-hmm. And here's a woman to this day giving interviews, saying y'all did it. They, I mean, mm-hmm. She is ignoring all evidence, mm-hmm. any culpability. And, and, and I said, and I said, I don't care. I said, the cops involved in y'all case, Linda Fairstein, Elizabeth Letterer, every person who put y'all in jail should go straight to hell. 100%. When they, when they die, they should say, Satan, how you doing? We did your work on earth. That's
6: right, hundred percent. And and again, it's a test to God. At the end of the day, that He controls everything. This is the woman who who orchestrated, you know, uh, the investigation. Who was the the lead investigator in this case? Who was the head of the sex crimes unit and was given, you know, ultimate authority to do whatever she pleased with us. And and she's also the woman who leaked several, uh, uh, you know, several uh, quotes and and, se- and and much information to the media. She orchestrated this whole thing, and and now that it's thirty years later, she's the only person that's still standing, basically taking the last stance, saying that we're still guilty. She's the only, basically the only one, the only voice.
3: Uh, I am on uh, Twitter right now. Um, Here we go to my iPad. Uh, I want to read this for you. Uh, you don't see it, okay, guys? Let's uh, figure out uh, why you can't see it. Uh, but uh, Ava, this is from the Daily Beast. Ava Duvernay on reaching out to Central Park, Five prosecutor Linda Fairstein for When They See Us. I don't know if I've told anyone this, but she tried to negotiate conditions for her to speak with me, including approvals over the script. (laughs) Mm. She, here's a woman still trying to manipulate this story decades later.
6: Yeah, she she stuck to the same narrative and she will not get off that narrative and, and it's that pride. You know, it, it takes, it's easier for them to stick to the narrative and ride it all the way out than just saying, you know what, we was wrong and we messed up.
3: Talk about apologies. In this, in the movie, of course, Ava DuVernay deals with uh, Donald Trump. This is a man who wanted, um, wanted um, a full page, who don't know, no, who wanted y'all to get the death penalty, took a full sure. page ad out. He gave interviews as well. Uh, when he was asked during the campaign about this, he still said, you guys committed the crimes. Uh, And, you know, he's demanded apologies from a lot of people, and I've made it perfectly clear. I said he can go to hell, as far as I'm concerned, demanding apologies (laughs) from anybody, because until he uh, publicly apologizes to y'all in Central Park Five and your families, he should shut up asking anybody else to apologize for anything.
6: 100% truth. I mean, it's a start. That's where he needs to start. He needs to start with an apology to us and our families. And then go down the line from there and apologize to all the people that he have ridiculed, made fun of, talked bad about, uh, uh, and, and you—I you, mean, you know that the clownish stuff that he does. We don't have to go through it. Everybody, the whole country knows. But it's definitely—it's uh, definitely a need for him to start with, with apologizing to the five of us and our families. Definitely.
3: When we think about uh, Colin Kaepernick, he is—he has is held these uh, sessions with young boys across the country, know your rights. Uh, there's a video out of a young black man being arrested by a cop in Decatur, Georgia. The brother's handcuffed and the brother is saying, uh, no, no, I want your badge and I want your name. Uh, and the cop uh, tells him, F you, the cops upset with him. And the brother said, oh, I'm clean. Y'all can do anything to me. And you can, and it's a black cop standing right there. Mm-hmm. And you see this white supervisor cussing this young man out, completely having the wrong attitude. And we think about what you guys went through. There there were black cops who were aware of what the detectives were doing and it was wrong. Yeah, yeah. And I I had somebody who said, well, Roland, you can't blame them. I said, no, damn that. I Mm -hmm. said, you can. Because Mm -hmm. if you put that badge on, that uniform on, you are sworn to uphold and protect the law. And the reality is, had a, had a, if, if, if there were any black cops or any white cops or Latino cops or who were aware of what was happening then, they should have spoken up as opposed to what happened to 14 and 15 and 16 year old young men. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's, it's just
6: an attest to show how strong their, uh, their, their uh, agency is that that blue wall of silence is serious. I mean, when you had uh, uh Mayor Bloomberg. In, in office. I mean he, he, he poured billions of dollars into into their budgets and, and he, he created he created a small army. He gave them the power to be what they are today. And so at the end of the day, this agency has run rampant and that wall of science has become very that blue wall of science has become very strong and it's very hard to, to, to uh to battle against them when you have billion dollar budgets and and you, you can get the best of the best. Um I mean this is, a, this is a shame. You know, we, we have to revamp that blue wall of silence. I mean, we even know that the, the quota was exposed. Stop and frisk was exposed. And they still, they still are able to operate. They still are able to operate and move that the, the way they want to and, and, and treat our people like we're second-class citizens.
3: Speaking of Mayor Bloomberg, mm-hmm. Mayor Bloomberg, Commissioner Ray Kelly, they fought this settlement. The only reason this settlement, this $41 million settlement took place was because Bill de Blasio was elected mayor of New York. Michael Bloomberg did not want to apologize, did not want you guys exonerated, and did not want to have to pay for the crimes of the NYPD, the crimes of the district attorney's office. That's
6: 100% correct. I mean, at the end of the day, Commissioner Kelly was in a deposition. Commissioner Kelly is. I mean, when this deposition is released, if it ever is released to the public, you you, you guys will get to see it yourself and and, and, and read it yourself. And, and I mean, he, he in this deposition, you know, he says that Mateus Reyes, who's the actual perpetrator of this crime, is credible for the four rapes and the murder, but he's not credible for the Central Park Jogger case. And so this is this is what we had to deal with within those thirteen years of Mayor Bloomberg in office.
3: Also, I tweeted something earlier. Had they done their job, there was a woman... There you go. ...who was, mur- who was raped and murdered after a Central Park <laughs> jogger. Had they actually pursued the right justice, that woman could still be alive. Her death is on their hands because they chose not to pursue the right killer.
6: Yeah, it's 100% correct. I mean, there were... In, in, in the Nancy Ryan report, Mateus Reyes goes on to solve, I think, four unsolved cases that they didn't even know he did, and so this was how bad that they, you know, they they fumbled this whole case, even his case. At the end of the day, you know, with, with they because they knew that he committed a rape three days in Central Park before the Jagger case, so you know they was looking for him already. He was known as the East Side Slasher, the East Side Rapist, and and like you said, Roland, if they would have did their job, this woman would have still been alive and those other four raids when have occurred.
3: Got some questions from my panelists here. Uh, I have Eugene Craig, CEO, Eugene Craig Organization, joining us via Skype, Dr. Avis Jones DeWeaver, a political analyst, Joseph Williams, senior editor, U.S. News and World Report. Uh, I'll first start uh, with you, Avis. Avis, Joseph, then Eugene.
7: Uh, first of all, just I just wanna say thank you for being strong Great. and surviving this. I am the mother of two sons. Uh, One is 15, maybe about the age that you were when this whole nightmare started, Mm -hmm. and I cannot imagine what it would have been like to see my child be caught up in this. So my question to you is, I've been seeing a lot of women in my network saying they don't want to watch this because they don't know that they can sit through it. I sat there and I watched every, every, all of the four-part series this weekend, and though it was hurtful to me as the mother of black boys, I felt like I needed to see it for them and for you. What would you tell parents right now who are saying, I want to see this, I know I need to see this, but, but, you know, I don't know that I can take it emotionally. What advice would you give them?
6: I mean, at the end of the day... Parents need to see it because we are, parents are the first line of defense for their child. And you need to be equipped just in case something ever happens to that child. Um, I mean, I can get it. it, you know, episodes three and four and four, especially Corey's episode might be a little too harsh for kids, but they need to see one and two. They need to understand the process of what happens in an interrogation room, what what uh, what the tactics that police use on us and how long you can be questioned and how they can lie to you. They need to know about the read technique. Um, it, it, we have to be, it, it's all about awareness. We have to be equipped as much as possible. And, and it's, it's a shame. It's a shame that we have to have these conversations with our kids, you know, at 13 and 14 years old. You know, instead of teaching them, you know, how to prepare to fill out a job application or, or how to how to work, how to help them with homework. Instead, we have to have these talks about how to conduct yourself when you see a police officer. Mm-hmm. But it's sad. Mm. But it's very necessary that kids watch at least episodes one and two.
0: Absolutely. So, hi. Yeah, I'm Joe Williams. And and thank you again for for sharing your story. It's really powerful and incredible. Um, I want to know two things that that keep sticking in my mind. The first is, how has your adjustment been coming out knowing that you spent, you know, a decade in prison because of something that you didn't do? And then coming out and hearing about Black Lives Matter and hearing about all these other things that are going on, that the problem is still there, number one. And number two, have you ever thought about suing Donald Trump for that ad and whether or not he is going to pay a price for defaming you guys in public?
6: Well, for the number two question, I mean, um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's an attorney issue. Um, I don't know if, if it's possible, because when that ad was produced, the statute of limitations might have ran out on that. Um, because that was produced in, I believe, 89 or 90. So I don't know about that. And and then your first question was, again...
0: Well, my first question was, it seems like since you guys were incarcerated, everything Mm -hmm. has changed and nothing has changed. Instead of having 14-year-old black boys going to jail for a crime they didn't commit, we have 14-year-old black boys getting killed in the streets. Uh, by cops who have the very same attitudes of the police officers who are the ones who convict you. They assume, and the assumption is, you, you, you project criminality on black boys and black children, and you see a criminal, and you're really... You know, the officers are willing to convince themselves that you've done something wrong, even when you haven't, and they're more likely to pull a gun this time rather than just try to railroad you guys for something that you didn't do. That's the, that's the... Everything that has changed is that now it seems like it's a lot more lethal, and nothing has changed in that the attitudes are still pretty much the same you assume criminality when you see a black male my mm-hmm. question my question to you is how does that make you feel what does that put you put in your mind the fact that that you guys did all this time and you got a, a huge settlement from the city but we still have this problem
6: i mean it's hurtful at the end of the day like we become we became the poster childs for for, for uh for the labels of wilding and urban terrorists and and, and wolf pack i mean 41 states changed juvenile. Uh, sentencing laws behind this case and when we were found to be uh innocent and we were exonerated nobody changed those laws back they just pushed on like business as usual and and at the end of the day it's like we see there's progress but there's not enough progress you know we have made some tremendous strides you know with black lives matter and, and and you know even with colin kaepernick stepping up but there's still a lot of work to be done and, and it's gonna take a whole village to get this done. It, it isn't just one incident. It has to be several incidents. It has to be several nationalities. It can't just be one or two. Uh, it, we have to band together. And it's gonna take a whole village of us to solve this problem. Well, you, know and, you, us- and
0: you also raise an interesting point about the fact mm-hmm. that, that the laws didn't change back, number one, right. and number two, everybody's gotta get
6: involved. It's true. Everybody has to. I mean, you look at raise the age campaign. Whereas we know, you know, it, it's proven, it, it's a fact that a, a, a male's the, uh, his 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 mind isn't developed until the age of twenty four. But if he commits a crime, you give him the harshest sentence that you can give him, and you destroy his life, you know. And and now when he does come back on parole, he doesn't know how to function. For us, you, you asked that question earlier, and for me. You know, here was this seven-year gap. This, uh, this was the critical point in my life where my dad was supposed to teach me, you know, how to become a young man and how to become a man eventually. But in return, in, in essence, I mean, you know, what happened was that was taken out, and this gap was replaced with prison life, mm-hmm. and how to adjust to prison, and and giving me this aggression that I didn't know that I didn't know exists until I was till somebody pulled my coat to it, and and and. How do you, you know, now you put me back on the street and I have these scars yeah. that cannot be healed. And
0: how do you
4: undo that? Yeah. And how do we do that, uh, Eugene? How do we get back, Eugene? First, brother, I appreciate you existing. Um, you know, appreciate your story. Um, you know, I'm a believer that uh, you know, forty-five owes y'all a huge check um, if you can actually afford it. Uh, my question <laughs> to you is this: What do you think should be the penalty for prosecutors and cops? that engage in misconduct because that's what this is you guys are victims of prosecutor to prosecute prosecutor to misconduct it's and conduct. police misconduct what do you think do you, what i mean I, I mean yeah i think we need to as something you know it's great we're having a conversation of prevention uh-huh. but until we can actually eradicate this crime um i think you know crime dissolves a a a a, a responsibility and a sentence attached to it and so my question to you as somebody that's been a victim of prosecutorial mismanagement and police misconduct. What do you think should be the penalty for prosecutors like Linda Fechtstein who's now, you know, selling millions of books, um off off the off, off of you guys' lives? Yeah, I think number one, we need to take away the immunity. Prosecutors have the immunity.
6: Um we need to take that away. I, I think that we need to take away the read technique for police officers. And they and, and they need to be held accountable. If you if you commit a crime, then there's there's a sentence for it, and and they shouldn't be above the law. They break the law just like anybody else. Uh, again, when these if these depositions are ever released from the police, you know that that several of these detectives made, you will see for yourself. I mean, there's detectives in there who uh who were in undercover stings and found money and kept it. There were detectives who retired from the police force, went down to Florida and became hired muscle for the mob and wound up getting caught in conspiracy cases. I mean. You know, Mike Sheehan. You know, he was he was uh, he was under investigation by the federal government. This guy drove drunk several times. He hit a police horse. Um, he was he was accused of stealing uh, police time. Like he would clock in at work and he would go to his sister's bar and he would stay there and drink all day. So these guys, you know, they have they have uh, uh, they feel like they're above the law and they can do whatever they want. And it's time for us to strip away those immunities and have them pay for their crimes.
3: Raymond, you said a couple times already that uh, if the depositions are released, are they, have they been locked away? Well, well, well
6: you know what? The, it's up to the city, the, the city, the, uh, the law department for the city to release them because uh, last year, I believe they released 100,000 pages of documents. And this was all stuff that we already knew. And there were numerous articles written about how we were still guilty. Um, but we told him. We said, "Don't release just the first half. You know, the 1989 and the trial. Re- release the whole thing. Let let the let the media, let the public be able to see these these depositions and view for themselves." And and I don't know. I, I don't know if will they ever be released. I have no idea.
3: Well, totally well, on. well, well, well. We certainly can make a lot of noise. Sounds like and and so and one of the things that I'll do when the show is over, I'll be sure to text Mayor Bill De Blasio and say. Why don't you, you run for president, why don't you release these depositions right. in order to release. Right. Uh, I got to ask you this, I, d- I just checked something. So apparently Linda Fairstein has deleted her Twitter account uh, mm-hmm. since this came out. Uh, and also Elizabeth Letterer is a law lecturer at Columbia University School of Law. Do you believe that the publisher of Linda Fairstein should drop her and sh- Columbia should say there's no way in hell that the woman who prosecuted the Central Park Five case should be teaching anybody the law. Do you believe that Columbia should boot Elizabeth Letterer Leder- and Fairley should lose her book book deal? A hundred percent. I mean, uh, Elizabeth Letterer
6: has been teaching at Columbia Law for a long time, and there was a there was a uh, a petition that was issued. It had over six thousand signatures to get rid of her, and Columbia Law has stood behind her. And all they have done was that they uh, tweaked her bio because on her bio. She, uh, she, had this, she, uh, she, she noticed the Central Park Five case as like a badge of honor. And when this petition came out, they tweaked her bio and took it off, but she still works there. And so Columbia University is at fault um, for, for still uh, giving this woman a job and letting her, her practice and teach law, knowing that she was involved in this case. And the same thing goes for Festing. There's no way in hell that this woman should be sitting there uh, profiting million, millions of dollars off these books when we know that she was behind this whole case.
3: Raymond Santana, man, it's always a pleasure seeing you and talking to you. Uh, I would certainly hope uh, that people learn from this and and understand the power of television. Uh, In 1982, uh, CBS aired a made-for-television movie about Linnell Jeter, a brother who was framed, who was convicted of of armed robbery, uh, robbing a KFC, even though he was at work. Uh, his company stood by him. They fought the Dallas County District Attorney's Office. And, and I've said this to people, that it was because, since then, and, and it shouldn't be this way if you're black or if you're Latino. But the reality is, uh, I tell people all the time, why do I use my credit card wherever, whenever I'm traveling? Because wherever I use my card, that's tracking my movements. That's right, and, and and it was ever it was from watching that movie, and I was fifteen. I was fourteen or fifteen when that movie came out. Watching that movie, put that in my head, and I've always done that. And so people have to understand people who watch these four episodes. There's a lot you can learn from from it, but 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 I would hope that any young black or Latino kid, or even a white kid watching this, know your rights. So you are not railroaded by cops. Uh, and like any lawyer would tell you, the moment a cop asks you a question, your first response and only response should be, I want to see my lawyer. That's I'm it. not answering <laughs> anything unless I see my lawyer. That's right. Raymond Santana, I appreciate it, brother. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, brother. It's always a pleasure. Yes, sir. on uh, our panel here. Again, th- this, it was... This was a hard four episodes mm-hmm. to watch. You can't, you can't help but be pissed off Absolutely. watching it. There been, I've been looking on Twitter. There have been people who say after 20 minutes, they turn it off.
7: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, you're watching it, and, and you're just you're getting even more pissed and more pissed. I know somebody who was saying, well, why should you watch it? No, you should watch it because it happened.
7: Absolutely. It happened, and it happens. Okay, you know, I, I, I cannot operate under, under the illusion that similar things aren't still going on today. And so it's important, as you mentioned, for people to watch this show, not only to, first of all, just give credence to the brilliant work that Avra DuVernay did in putting this together to educate us as a nation but also so that you can know and your children can know their rights. Because I think what happens is people are operating under the assumption that, that, you know, if I'm innocent, it's okay if I talk. If I'm innocent, I should just go along with what they want us to do. But that's a lie. The police can lie and they do lie and they do it all the time and they coerce people into getting themselves into deeper trouble and that's exactly what happened to them.
3: Um, Joseph, when I talk about I mean, the pain you watch this in the, the Youssef Salam, His mother storms in, and it wasn't until she threatened to call the New York Times mm-hmm. that they allow her to see her son. And they literally looked at her and said, you gonna call the New York Times, as if you actually think you can call the New York Times. I'm saying that to the people out there who hate the media, who hate the press, And there were a bunch of people in the media who went right along with this despicable uh, uh, storyline. But the reality is, in this nation, other than lawyers, no other institution exposes wrongdoing by cops and prosecutors than media. Absolutely right. And the Mm -hmm. black media, we will will underscore that point, that you
0: have the black media that's telling the truth about these things, You have people who are invested in understanding that, the fact that this happens all the time. And that's one of the things that struck me uh, about what you were saying, Uh, Avis, is like, this is the only one we know about. Right. Right. This is the only one that made headlines. And it was that threat because you had a black woman who said that she knew what her rights were to Mm -hmm. a degree, that she knew that she could get some action, and if nothing else, then at least get them to pay attention to her. So I think it's very important for people to understand the fact that, yes, Mita has had And, yes, media had a role in this case where you had a lot of reporters getting fed some information that was really not true. But at the end of the day, if you have a story like this to this degree where truth is going to be told and exposed, and and it's easy to believe because we do know that this happens all the time, Mm -hmm. then this is one of the areas that that, that can be uh, kind of an ace in the hole if if things get too dicey.
3: Uh, Eugene, uh, Saturday I was playing golf, uh, and one of the brothers who I played (laughs) golf with His daughter graduated from George Washington University Law School. Uh, And he said, he said, man, come on by the house for a plate. Uh, And, you know, (laughs) look, brother don't turn down a free plate, especially at a cookout. Uh, He was he was he was doing he was doing the fish. uh, And it was pretty interesting. I'm I'm gonna roll this video here. So uh, this is a video uh, of this sister, uh, Krista, and a number of her law school graduates taking a shot uh, of them, uh, c- for graduation. Uh, go to my iPad. Check this out. First time and
0: that's it. That's
7: yes! Lawyers Toast today. Woo! Woo! Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> One and done
3: crew, baby. Right. Now, I'm showing that because, uh, when I posted, on, posted it on Instagram, uh, she actually, uh, responded. She says, thank you for coming out. Hashtag Black Lawyers Matter. This is also, I think, was important. In this case, it was also black criminal defense attorneys matter. Uh, Youssef's mother, only attorney who they knew, he was a divorce lawyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of the other uh, folks was a public defender. Uh, and, and and the thing is, th- this is why all- black folks in media matter, to Joseph point, black lawyers matter, because we understand how we have been systematically railroaded in this country?
4: Absolutely. Um, it's a lot to unpack there. Uh, media and the press, uh, play, have, has played traditionally an important role in uncovering, uh, scandal after scandal after scandal after scandal. The biggest scandals in our country have all been uncovered by reporters that just would not give up. Um, you know, the one thing that the... even the beat police understood was that, hey, the bad press could definitely blow up what we have going on here. Um, but to the notion of the black lawyers, black lawyers absolutely do matter. Black criminal defense attorneys absolutely do matter. Um, I'll give you an example. I, I went to traffic court about a month ago, and I stuck around for about an hour or so, a little little bit, maybe like two hours after, just to sit back and watch, um, you know, how things operate. You know, you know i work working, you know, in, in criminal justice reform space. Um, and, you know, so you got to have to have a full understanding of it. What I saw with some of the public defenders putting just horrible deals in front of people just because, you know, they didn't have their best, their best interest of the client at heart, and just trying to move the case along. And I'm talking, you know, hey, accept six-month probation in exchange for not having to pay, like, a $300 fine um, when the judge knows that you're probably going to, you know, get caught up driving without a license again is a set of a failure, and and it comes a matter of, of, of black criminal defense attorneys mattering, uh, black lawyers mattering, we need a pipeline of black lawyers. Um, you know, during the Civil Rights era, it was black lawyers um, that that while folk were protesting, you know, getting locked up, like getting them out, getting them bonded and bailed out, uh, uh, trying harsh laws in uh, the federal courts. Um, I, one thing I would love to see, and I'm having some conversational background with some folks, you know, the Supreme Court recently came in and, and, and applied the Eighth Amendment to uh, things such as uh, uh, tickets that escalate dramatically, uh, like we saw in Ferguson. That's something that that ruling really could be applied to a lot of things across the country, And I think it's going to take you know, black lawyers, young black lawyers that to be aggressive and taking and, and, and on these activist roles. And, uh, and, and pursuing and pursuing justice, real justice, oh. correcting the flawed
3: system. All right, folks, going to go to break right now. We come back. We're going to talk about Reverend Dr. William Barber. Why well, North Carolina Republicans so scared of this brother? We'll tell you about uh, him speaking to the media after there was a hearing uh, for second-degree trespassing. Really, in the General Assembly, it's the legislature, the people's building. We'll talk about that a lot more right here in Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roller Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, uh, they're back. Marijuana stock.org has another great investment opportunity. If you were lucky enough to invest in their last crowdfunding campaign, you know they raised a lot of money in just a few months investing in legal marijuana farms. Those initial investors now own shares of a publicly traded company. They're on fire, folks, and last time you may have missed out. You don't want to miss out this time. Now they have a new investment opportunity that is as good, if not even better, than the last. I'm talking about industrial Hemp CBD. Now, for those who don't know, the hemp plant is the cousin to marijuana with a much higher concentration of CBD, which means hemp CBD gives you all of the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Now, until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, the 2018 Farm Bill uh, Congress passed, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the U.S., is creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. They need land to grow all of the plants. This makes for an incredible investment opportunity, and that's where our good friends at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is very simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed, high-paying tenants. That's right, they are hemp CBD landlords, and you can get in on the action. You can invest in the crowdfunding campaign for as little as 200 bucks, up to $10,000. You may not want to miss out on this one, folks. All you got to do to invest is go to MarijuanaStock.org. That's MarijuanaStock.org. You can get in the game, and you should do it now. Folks, Reverend Dr. William Barber, of course, is our good friend, and he's been ticking off Republicans there in the North Carolina legislature. And it got so bad that they literally barred him from coming to the legislature. Are you serious? It says trespassing. Well, there was a hearing today uh, and this is him talking to the media after the hearing. Uh, in this particular instance, fighting
2: for 500,000 people who need health care. Uh, the legislature that we have now has been proven to be unconstitutionally constituted. They are the real violators of the law. They've been found guilty of voter suppression. And we believe they're guilty of not allowing people in this state to have access to health care. 346,000 which are white in this state. And so this was all basic hearing we think the state is trying to prevent us from arguing the very thing that is the basis of our protest and that is the
0: Constitution.
2: Lawyers are doing well and uh, we intend to stand but this is so much bigger than any one person this is about the people of North Carolina and it's about whether or not we have full right to, to speak to justice to have free speech and to make sure that that building is not a place where legislators can hide from the people but instead where they can be found so that we can do what the Constitution Constitution says, and that's instructive.
3: We were uh, now um, Eugene, uh, come right, come back to me. So, uh, what happened was in April uh, that a ban was lifted on Reverend Barber being allowed into the building uh, because the Republicans said we don't want y'all protesting. <laughs> North Carolina Republicans—that's how crazy they are. Literally went to court to say, ban him from bringing people into the state capitol to protest against bills.
4: I mean, that's how crazy the North Carolina Republicans are. I mean, this is the same party that, you know, celebrated electing the first black chairman and couldn't wait to get rid of that first black chairman uh, as soon as possible. Um, You know, we know North Carolina Republicans are crazy as hell. We know North Carolina is, you know, politically headed to a hell in the handbasket. Um, and and you know it's 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 indefensible. Um, you know it's a, it's a violation of, of Reverend Barber's First Amendment rights. Um, they would never do this to a two-way rally crowd. They would never do this to the pro-life people that flood uh, every single cycle, every single G.A. cycle uh, when bills are put up. Um, SO, YOU KNOW, BUT, BUT THEY'RE TARGETING THIS GENTLEMAN WHO'S FIGHTING FOR THE RIGHTS OF BLACK, BROWN, AND POOR PEOPLE.
3: Um, uh, UH, WELL, uh, AVERS, THIS IS FUNNY. SO, LITERALLY, this, THIS TOOK PLACE, THIS IS AN ARTICLE FROM JUNE sixteenth, two 2017, HERE WE GO TO MY iPad. Um, Reverend William Barber, the North Carolina NAACP president, has been banned from entering the North Carolina Legislative Building following his arrest during a protest on May 30th. The ban also applies to 31 other protesters arrested that day during a health care sit-in. They were protesting health care.
7: Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! Well, you know, as been said, I mean. I can't even imagine what I could be surprised by at this point by that particular legislator. The the Republicans in North Carolina have been off the chain for a while now. And it's very interesting to me, these very same people who want to talk second amendment second amendment second amendment the constitution oh my god we're uh, we're we're uh, uh, original uh, constructionist absolutely all of a sudden skip over the first amendment when it applies to people that they don't want to hear from so the hypocrisy is just astounding but once again they've done so many astounding things that it's really hard for them to do anything that surprises me at this point. joseph
0: <laughs> you know it's the, the, the one thing that worries me about this whole thing right is the fact that they have banned a guy, and he's have, he's got to go to court. I mean, one person, Reverend Barber, who's trying to lead a movement, and they've gone to court to try to get him to stop this. I mean, what's next, though? I mean, right. they've done a lot of stuff that we thought was, was ludicrous and they could not get away with, but they're trying to legitimately silence somebody in a First Amendment uh, context, it's not going to work, number one, but number two, they're packing courts so that further on down the line it might actually work Good and it might actually have somebody who would rule in favor of the legislature. It's now,
3: ridiculous. Now, let's talk about, of course, uh, we always talked about the crazy racist cops on this show. Well, <laughs> guess what? An organization decided to do an extensive look into what these cops are saying on Facebook. A review of the Facebook accounts of thousands of police officers around the country found them endorsing violence against Muslims, women and criminal defendants. Here's one example. F these Muslim turd goat humpers. Wow. Oh, but we must help them. Yeah, right, when it's okay to rape and murder in a religion. I ain't helping no one. That's, uh, of course, the, um, the page there of that particular woman right there. Now, the review was done by the Plan, Plan View Project. They were launched, it was launched by our guest, Philadelphia attorney Emily Baker White. She joins us right now. So Emily, uh, glad to have you on the show. So how did this thing originate? Where, where, Where did the idea come from to say, hmm, let's dig a little deeper?
5: Thank you for having me on the show. So I first came across troubling content on Facebook posted by police officers when I was an attorney at the Federal Defender's Office in Philadelphia in the Capital Habeas Unit. I was representing individuals on death row who were contesting the validity of their convictions. I was assigned to one case in which uh, I was asked to look into a potential police brutality claim in that case, that there was a lot of police brutality in a given neighborhood that might have affected the outcome of the case. So in doing that, I came across several pages Uh, on Facebook that were apparently maintained by police departments in that neighborhood and that had completely public facing posts on them. I think if there was one post that really spurred me to look deeper, it was a meme that showed a police dog uh, that was being restrained by an officer. The police dog was baring its teeth and the caption over the picture was, I hope you run, he likes fast food. I was alarmed by this image. Um, And it was also, it was a meme. The officer presumably hadn't made it himself. He got it from somewhere. And what that made me say was, how prevalent is this? How much of this is there on the internet? And that was the question that led me to create the Plainview Project.
3: So, um, So how did you begin the research to begin to assemble all of this Uh, and how many police officers did you eventually compile data on?
5: So the first thing we did was identify, our plan was to look at, do a sort of deep dive into the departments, into a few departments, right? You can't look at everybody, you can't look at everything. Right, right. We looked at Facebook, you could look at Twitter, you could look at Instagram, but we decided we were gonna look at Facebook, we were gonna look at a few departments and we were gonna try to find as much information as we could in those departments. So we picked eight jurisdictions across the United States, some big, some small. The largest was Philadelphia where I lived at the time. Um, But we also looked in Dallas and Phoenix and St. Louis among um, other smaller jurisdictions. And we picked those cities. We obtained the public rosters of all the police officers in each of those places. That's a matter of public record. You can get the lists of police officers in each city. Uh, In fact, often it's posted on, we got the Philly ones from the Philly Inquirer. We got, I think the Dallas ones from a newspaper down there. Um, So we got a list of all the officers in these jurisdictions. Then we went and tried to find facebook pages that apparently match those names now there are a lot of people with every name on facebook it doesn't matter how uncommon your name is there are a lot of people with that name on facebook so obviously we needed more we needed something that showed that a person was a law enforcement offer officer in a certain jurisdiction and so the most common way that we found that verification was that the person posted police officer at phoenix police department or at Dallas Police Department. Um, and many people do list the police department as their employer, and that was the most common verification that we found. But also there were a lot of people who posted pictures of themselves in uniform or um, were having a conversation and said, you know, I've been a you know Phoenix cop for five years and in my experience, blah, 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 right? So we had to get some affirmative uh, ID from a person saying, I am a police officer in this jurisdiction. We built a list of those people, and then we reviewed all of the public posts that each of those people had made.
3: Well, what I love about this is, first of all, they can't lie and say it wasn't me. Uh, That's the one thing I love about it. And also what it does is exposes them in their own words. Now, you you put this out there. Um, What's the next step? Are you asking the departments to take action against them?
5: So departments are still responding to this information, but the responses that we've gotten from officials in Philadelphia so far have been really good. The Philadelphia Commissioner Ross, among other things, what part of his statement was the line, I don't understand why there's still so much hate in this country today. And that's coming from the Philly police chief looking at at some of the words of his own officers. And when I hear him say that, I believe him and I think he's taking this problem really seriously.
3: Well, first of all, it is an amazing job y'all did. Are any plans and you, know, you focused on eight jurisdictions. Last question for you, are you planning on uh, targeting uh, more jurisdictions?
5: Not at this moment. But right. I wouldn't rule anything out.
3: All right then, well, we surely appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Where can Thank people you. where can people see your full report? Where can they go?
5: uh plainviewproject.org
3: Plainview Project.Org. All right, we appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Thank you very much. Joseph, this is, uh, first of all, it's it's an amazing thing that they did. And what it does is, for all the people who talk about the bad apples... Hmm. (laughs) It's like a whole
0: barrel full of them. I mean, and the thing that that kind of drives me crazy about this is, like, number one, this is only eight jurisdictions, I think she said, like Mm -hmm. a handful. Eight. This is the tip of the iceberg, right? This is the tip of the iceberg. We don't know how many more cops are are out there who are doing sorts of things. Mm -hmm secondly it folds back into the first story which is how these guys got convicted in the central park five in the first place Mm -hmm. there was groupthink. there were people who see people who see black men who see black boys as animals and suspects this is where it comes from this is where cops were so willing to believe that five guys 14 15 13 who didn't even know each other were guilty of a crime and why the prosecutors just pushed and pushed and pushed until they got a conviction it all ties in together and and it's something that's going to be
3: incredibly hard to eradicate and 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 the thing avis is that again these are individuals who are dumb enough to say it
7: yeah i mean i I think what's what to me is most telling about this is it shows how rotten this culture is to its core that they would feel comfortable enough to just put this this out there in public okay just put it all out there anybody could see it and they saw no repercussions would come from it. And so they felt comfortable doing it. And I also am not as quite comforted uh, by the Philadelphia police chief's words as the author of this report was, because quite frankly, he should have known.
3: Well, words are one thing, but now what do you do next?
7: Yeah. I
3: mean That's what's key.
7: Absolutely. And you know the culture of your organization, and if you don't, that's a problem.
3: But he knows. Come on now. He knows. Uh, Eugene? Well, actually, you know what? No. I would dare say, Eugene, folks may not know because they don't properly monitor, and that's the problem i have and i think what they've exposed is how in the hell are you not keeping tabs on your own cops again you're sworn to protect and uphold the law as opposed to to beat people to denigrate people and say i'm not going to represent you
4: yeah i mean i, I think this should come there should be special scrutiny uh when it comes to police officers um and, and law enforcement I think the next step absolutely probably should be is that you take that eight, you gather the resource to cover 100, 200, 300, maybe 1,000, and then probably expand to a full 4,000 uh, departments that we know about. And then um, from there, this database has to be searchable. Um, you know, it has to be as, as, as accessible for your common defense attorney uh, who has a client that's been brutally abused by the police. To be able to run those officers' names and say, "Boom, here we go," um, you know, you know, these these people have they they have the bias and they put it on display. Um, you know, one of the former uh, Baltimore City Central Committee chairman, um, and and here uh, he was a, a lawyer, defense attorney, and he kept the list of corrupt cops and bad cops in his office. Right. And when he would get a client, he would just go back and see who was the arresting officer and matched up to that list. And if he messed up to that list, it would be open shut case for him. And I think that's what you probably start seeing if we were to turn this to an actionable, searchable database.
0: All right, folks. You can't, can't, real quickly, you can't get hired for a job unless somebody checks your social media, right? My company has a social media policy. You should not be able to get hired as a police officer unless they check your social media and find out that it's all on the square. Mm Kind of basic. Simple, kind of basic. (laughs) Cost nothing.
3: All right, folks, uh, we've lost uh, a major law enforcement figure, the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. is one of the loss of one of its own today. Jimmy Wilson served as Nobles' National President in 2002. He passed away this weekend. He was a chief of police in Petersburg, Virginia, and a Washington, D.C. police officer from 1968 to 1986. Rising through the ranks in the city's sixth police precinct and reorganizing the department's homicide investigations unit, Wilson headed investigations into the 1981 attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan, and was also responsible for the arrest of shooter John Hinckley. He led investigations into the 1982 Potomac River airline crash that killed 79 people. He also led the investigations of terrorist activities. We certainly appreciate all that Officer Wilson, Chief Wilson, has done, and we certainly send our best to his families and those who loved him. Also, folks, on Saturday night, we lost a living legend, of course, Leah Chase. She, of course, the queen of Creole cuisine. She passed away Saturday at the age of 96. If you've ever been to New Orleans, chances are you've had a meal at Dookie Chase's restaurant, named after her husband. Who she was married to for 70 years who passed away just a couple of years ago she was known not only for cooking some of the best food you ever taste but making her customers feel like they were eating at her home she fed multiple presidents entertainers freedom riders dr king Ruth franklin and so many others and hosted naacp meetings in the restaurant Aaliyah Chase would be sadly missed by everyone who passed through the doors of Dookie Chase's restaurant. And certainly, uh, I loved her dearly. Anytime I went to New Orleans, I would certainly stop by her restaurant, go into her kitchen. She always said, you bringing those cameras in my kitchen? I bet she always gave me a hug and a kiss anyway. And so, tomorrow, Uh, We're going to uh, show you a 45-minute interview I did with her. It's an amazing interview. I shared some excerpts this morning uh, on the Tom Journal Morning Show. Uh, uh, Great interview with her. We talked about all kinds of stuff, uh, what makes a marriage last 70 years. Uh, She talked about that there was a time in New Orleans where, guess what, Uh, gumbo and jambalaya was not what folks served there. And we also talked about, of course, her support of those freedom riders and also... How, how is it that she had a love affair with General George Patton? She actually had all of his books. And she, you'll hear from her explain why she was a General Patton in the kitchen. Trust me, it's an interview you do not want to miss. And so uh, we didn't want to rush it. We're going to have it for you tomorrow. And so what we'll do is we'll have our show tomorrow. Uh, and then as soon as the show is over, uh, we'll have our second live stream. We'll do a full dedication. Uh, to uh, Leah Chase. And, in fact, I think what I'm also do is try to reach out to Marcus Sandwich and some of the other black chefs out there to get their thoughts because she certainly... Y'all, the woman was only about this tall. Mm -hmm. She's only about this tall. But she was a giant uh, when it came to cooking. And, oh, y'all do not want to miss her talking about when Barack Obama had the nerve to come to Dookie Chase's and put some hot sauce on her gumbo before he even tasted it. Let's just say things did not go so well with the first black president for messing up Miss Chase's gumbo. <laughs> and, wait till, and wait till y'all hear the kind words that she had for President George W. Bush. It's an interview you don't want to miss. I'm telling you right now. And so uh, we're looking forward uh, to paying po- proper tribute uh, to Leah Chase. All right, folks, uh, I want to thank all our panel for being, being with us today, Robert excuse me, Eugene, uh, Joseph, as well as uh, Avis. Thank you so very much. And also folks, don't forget, we want you to support Roller Martin Unfiltered by joining our Brain the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support this show to make this possible for us to be able uh, to pay tribute to folks like Officer Wilson and also to Leah Chase, uh, because let's just be honest, they're not gonna get there just due other places. Well, this is why we have to have our own institutions uh, to do so. Uh, and in fact, uh, she also has some great words. And while it's important, for black media for us to keep telling the truth even when others don't like it. And so I want you to go to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com join our Brain the Funk fan club. Uh, You can give via cash app, PayPal or even Square as well. You can give monthly. You can give a one-time donation. It doesn't matter. We've had folks who've given as little as one buck all the way up to folks who've given us $1,000 every single month to keep this uh, show going. And if you also join the fan club, you get a special code for a discount for items on RolandSMartin.com. And so uh, my Barack Obama interview, my my wife's book, Wedded Bliss, a devotional guide for married couples, as well as my faith-based book, Listening, The Spirit Within, and her book, Fulfill the Art and Joy of Balanced Living. And so anybody can get copies of those books. If you order through RolandSMartin.com, all those books are personally autographed by the two of us. Now, if y'all go from Amazon, ain't getting no autograph. So I'm just telling you right now, you want to go to RolandSMartin.com. Again, if you're a member of the fan club, uh, be sure to uh, get your code. A lot of you who gave you a cash app, you did not include your email when you signed up. That's why you haven't gotten your code. So shoot me an email uh, at RolandSMartin.com, and then we'll send you uh, the discount code to you as well. All right, folks, I got to go. I shall see you tomorrow. Holla!